May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Please be seated. The humorist and author David Sedaris tells a story of explaining the mystery of Easter in a classroom in Paris learning introductory French where he, an American, and people from Italy, Russia, Poland, and Morocco were learning about holiday celebrations. The teacher began, and what does one do on Easter? Would anyone like to tell us? The Italian nanny was attempting to answer the question when the Moroccan student interrupted, shouting, excuse me, but what's an Easter? Despite her having grown up in a Muslim country, it seemed she might have heard it mentioned once or twice, but no. I mean it, she said. I have no idea what you people are talking about. The teacher then called upon the rest of us to explain. The Poles led the charge to the best of their ability. It is, said one, a party for the little boy of God who call himself Jesus. And she faltered, and her fellow countryman came to her aid. He call himself Jesus, and then he be die one day on two morsels of lumber. The rest of the class jumped in, offering bits of information that would have given the Pope an aneurysm. He'd die one day, and then he'd go above of my head to live with your father. He weared the long hair, and after he died the first day, he'd come back here for to say hello to the peoples. <laughs> he nice, the Jesus. He make the good things, and on the Easter we be sad because somebody makes him dead today. Part of the problem had to do with grammar. Simple nouns such as cross and resurrection were beyond our grasp, let alone such complicated reflexive phrases as to give of yourself your only begotten son. Faced with the challenge of explaining the cornerstone of Christianity, we did what any self-respecting group of people might do. We began to talk about food instead. (laughs) David Sedaris manages to hilariously portray the mystery of being able to explain the great joy of Easter. A long time ago, a very nice man who happened to be the little boy of God and was named Jesus, was killed, died, and lived again. Right now, you and I hover on the cusp of Easter. It is so very close, and I know many of you have your bells ready to go. But first, we get to dwell in the mystery for just a little bit longer We wait in faith to see what will happen to Jesus because we know that his death has changed us 
And we wait to see how his resurrection will mark us. Jesus will bear the marks of the cross on his body. And we, his followers, will bear the marks of his love on our hearts and in the world. This past January, I got to go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And on my second visit to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, the church that was built to encompass Calvary, the entirety of the mountain from the site of the crucifixion to the tomb, I was amused by how many people were taking pictures of themselves around the church. Here they were in front of the hewn rock. Here they were herding behind a selfie stick to capture themselves in front of the tomb. Here they were, in a dozen different languages, looking at their phone screens and speaking the universal message of, nope, delete it, take it again. And as I was climbing up from the bottom of the hill, noticing how the steps of the church were smoothly indented from the billions of feet, from the millions of pilgrims who had climbed these steps, I drug my hand along the wall carved from the same stone as the mountain itself, the wall had that familiar sort of roughness of stone until my ring finger caught in a particular deep indentation. Yanked out of my reverie, I finally looked at the wall in front of me. Underneath my fingers was a small carved cross, no more than an inch high or wide, And suddenly, looking at it, I realized that the wall was filled with thousands upon thousands of small crosses, painstakingly carved into those holy walls. Medieval selfies. For centuries, people had been leaving their marks in the place where that nice man, Jesus, died, was buried, and rose again. Men and women and children had chose to leave the mark of Jesus, the cross, as their own. And they sought, perhaps, to confirm his mark on them and to go out and bear his image in the world. Over and over, these crosses said, Yes, it is the same for me, and you are not alone. To tell you the story of the second time I went to the Holy Sepulchre, I feel like I have to tell you about the first. And to borrow from our Baptist brethren, it is a bit of a testimony. You see, a few days before, I prayed at the Western Wall, the site of the last remaining wall of Herod's great temple, the place on top of which sit the great mosque, the Dome of the Rock, and Al-Aqsa, the place where Jesus went willingly as the great paschal lamb so that he could be sacrificed for us. These three major religions and their followers and thousands of pilgrims over thousands of years hold that the presence of the divine has never left this place. The site so holy to Jews, Muslims, and Christians, the divine presence always rests. And when I went up to the wall, I lay my forehead upon it, pressing against the wall and the prayers of so many that had been shoved into the pockets of stone. 
I took a few deep breaths, and I felt something, a kind of pulse, not in the way that you feel the one at your throat, but something deeper, a resonance that I perceived beyond sensory input, a great pulsing presence. Now that was disturbing enough for me, but a few days later, my fellow pilgrims and I were doing the Stations of the Cross. And the Church of the Holy Sepulchre holds Station 10, where Jesus is stripped of his garments, through Station 14, when Jesus is laid in the tomb. We wound up on the top of Calvary at the 12th station, where Jesus dies. And our pilgrimage leader stopped us there and said, We're going to read the 12th station, and afterwards, you're welcome to go kneel beneath the altar and touch the mountain. And then we're all just going to sit in silence for about 10 minutes. Whatever happens to you, whatever you need to do, I encourage you to do it. And horrified, I looked around swiftly. What was going to happen to these people? What had happened to people before to make them say that? As was typical for me in the Stations of the Cross, I had already started crying. So when I knelt beneath the altar, I was terrified to touch the rock beneath. And when I reached in and my fingers hit the stone, the whole world turned inside out. That deep pulse That abiding presence that was revealed in the wall became concentrated at that point, and I was completely overcome with the understanding that it had to happen. And that's the only thing I kept hearing in a firm but soothing voice. It had to happen. It had to happen. It had to happen. The mark of God's love on the world on the cross of Christ had to happen. And friends, I will admit to you that I just about died. And when I crawled behind a pillar to cover my head and sob my heart out, I knew that I was marked. Marked by that cross. And here's the thing. And I can't believe I'm about to say this in front of the bishop who ordained me as a priest. But I knew for the first time in that moment, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that all of it was true. After an indeterminate time had passed, I felt a tap on my head. An older woman was looking down at me, and her concern slowly melted into a soft smile. She nodded, as if to say, yes. It is the same for me, and you are not alone. Hundreds of years ago, when the church was built, they found a carving from the first century. It's a picture of a boat with a lowered sail, and underneath it, an inscription in Greek reads, Lord, we came. For thousands of years, people have made the journey to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to humbly bear with joy the sign of the cross into the world. Tonight, here at Trinity, 
You and I are between the grave and the empty tomb. We sit in darkness and attune our bodies and our hearts to the presence of the divine among us. Hearing of God's great love for us throughout history, we remember and claim that God's great love for us was fully and perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. Between the grave and the empty tomb, we hold that Christ claims us, Christ marks us, and that we are transformed. And though our Lord no longer walks physically among us, his mark is everywhere. Yes, it is the same for me, and you are not alone. Tonight, our Christian family grows in number and in faith. In just a few moments, Bishop Smith will invite Sam Sharp and Robert Kilman to declare their intention to be baptized into Christ's death and resurrection, and for Margaret Kilman to confirm her renewed commitment to Christ. You and I will stand with them, and we will remember our own baptisms. We will feel the ghost of hands that marked us with the sign of the cross and sealed us as Christ's own forever. Because of the great love that God made known to us in Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you and I, as much and as often as the people who have carved their own crosses on Calvary, have the same deep and innate response to leave a mark on the world to bear the mark of Christ in our own lives and to share the dawning light of Easter in the dark and shadowed places of the world. As Teresa of Avila joyfully reminds us, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on the earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. It is the same for me, and you are not alone. And friends, tonight, as we leave behind the empty tomb and journey into the great light of Easter, let us all love and serve Jesus well enough to leave a mark. Glory be to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in his church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.